Well, good morning. If you turn your Bible to Mark chapter 14, we read in verses 1 to 11 today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. If you don't have one at home, uh, there's some Bibles on the back table. Feel free to grab one on your way out. We'd love for you to have one. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Who was the ointment wasted? Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Well, in seminary, I remember one particular time when I was extraordinarily wasteful. Uh, I love pizza, and I love to have pizza from Whole Foods Market. And at Whole Foods Market, the pizza was made with, like, fresh, natural ingredients, so it tasted really good. And so I thought to myself, I should try some other place that has natural pizza. So I tried to find organic pizza. And so I apparently had too much time on my hands, so I did this Google search for organic restaurants and organic pizzas. And I found this place, I think it was called the Organic Garden or something like that. And I think it was about a half hour away from the seminary, so I drove there and paid and exorbitant amount of money for a pizza. It was like $28. Ridiculous. And so I get there, and I'm starving to death. I hadn't eaten in a long time. I'm waiting to eat my pizza, and I pay for it. I get to the car, and I open it up, and it wasn't like any pizza I had ever seen before. I don't know how they called it a pizza. If you think about a cracker that's very dry with bitter tomato sauce on top of it, with some sort of cheese spread on top of that, and then raw tomatoes just kind of cut in hunks all the way around, that's what it was. And it wasn't, wasn't even cooked. So I took two bites of it, and I was like, I don't think I can do this. And so I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do with this pizza? I just paid $28 for it. I drove 30 minutes, and I don't think I can eat it. So I thought about bringing it back to the seminary and putting it in the lounge, but I didn't think I could subject anybody else to that pizza. So I found the nearest uh, gas station, and I threw it out, and I went to McDonald's or something on the way home. I spent all that money, all that driving, and it was just a waste. The dictionary defines a waste as to use or expend carelessly, extravagantly, or to no purpose. In the passage that we're looking at today, the woman in the passage does that, or at least appears to do that. 
she appears to be extraordinarily wasteful. The woman in the passage had a jar of ointment, a jar of pure nard. This would have cost about 300 denarii. Uh, denarius was about the day's wage for a laborer, so this would have been almost a year's wage, about 300 days work. And she does a number of things that were not necessary, that were overly extravagant and exorbitant. For example, she could have used a different kind of oil. This anointing someone's head with oil or their feet, this was something that was pretty common in the ancient Near East. It was a very dry climate, so this was a sign of courtesy, a sign of hospitality. But she could have used a number of other ointments that were much, much more, less expensive. Also, she could have just taken a little bit out of the top, put it in her hand, and put it on Jesus' head. She didn't have to break the flask, but she does, probably indicating that she's going to use all of it on Jesus. She could have just poured a little bit out of the top, still had a bunch left. Everything that she does in this passage is a display of extravagance and certainly was not necessary. In addition, she was probably breaking uh, social conventions because in that day and age it was considered impolite for a woman to interrupt a company of men unless they were serving. And so she breaks social conventions and she does something that's extraordinarily wasteful or at least appears to be wasteful. And some people don't like that. The disciples don't like that. Uh, in the other Gospels, it says that Judas especially didn't like that because he was in charge of the money uh, among the disciples. And so they're grumbling to themselves, or at least some of them were grumbling to themselves. This ointment was worth 300 denarius. She could have used any other kind of ointment. We could have sold this and given it to the poor. And so they go and they scold her, probably pretty severely. They probably, uh, in our day, they might be yelling at her or cussing her out. And then Jesus steps in. He's like, why are you treating her this way? He says, leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? And he says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. And then he says, for you always have the poor with you. Whenever, whenever you want to do good, you can do good for them. And it's interesting that Jesus would say this because throughout the Gospels, Jesus has a very... Uh, keen concern for the poor. In the book of Luke especially, it seems like almost every passage about, is about the care for the poor. So Jesus certainly cared about the poor. It wasn't that he was neglecting the poor. But he knows that he'll only be with the disciples for just a few short days before he's going to be crucified. And he knows that this sacrifice is meaningful. And also, I think there's a bit of humor here. I mean, there's, there was some hypocrisy most likely going on, at least with Judas, maybe among the other disciples as well, because if they actually had the ointment, would they really have sold it and given it to the poor? The other Gospels indicate that Judas wanted it because he wanted to take from the money purse. That he was in charge of the purse and he would just take whenever he wanted. So Jesus tells him, Whenever you want to do good for the poor, feel free to do it. If you, if you want to give the poor your staff, feel free to give them your staff. If you want to give them your tunic, feel free to give them that. Whenever you want to, you can give to the poor. But don't scold this woman because she did something special for me. And look at what Jesus says to the woman. He says something that I find really interesting. He says, she has done what she could. She has done what she could. Now, not everyone could give a bottle of ointment that was worth 300 denarii. 
Not many people could do that. It was an exorbitant sum of money. In fact, this woman probably received it as a family heirloom or a sign of, or kind of as a status symbol. In that day and age, a woman probably couldn't earn that much money on her own, so she was most likely given that as an heirloom. Not many people had that opportunity, but she gives what she, she could to Jesus. We looked at a few short weeks ago at a widow who comes to the temple and she puts two small coins into the offering. She also gave what she could. Those two small coins that she put into the offering were, would have been the equivalent of one sixty-fourth of a day's wage put together. So we have one woman here who gives 300 denarii, 300 uh, days wages, and then another woman who gives one sixty-fourth of a day's wage, and each one gave what she could. It's not about the size of the gift, it's about the heart of the giver. A few weeks ago when we looked at the passage about the widow who gave two small coins, we learned that there's no gift that's too small to give to God. But here in this passage, we see that there's no gift that's too big to give to God. One woman gives pennies, another gives the equivalent of thousands of dollars, and it doesn't matter what the size is, they both gave what they could. And it's interesting in this passage, we see a number of contrasts. We see, once again, kind of uh, what they call a sandwich structure. In verses 1 to 2, we have the account of the chief priests and the scribes trying to find a way to trip Jesus up uh, and to kill him and crucify him, or kill him at least. In verse 3 to 9, we have the account of this woman anointing Jesus. And then in verse 10 to 11, it resumes the story. And we have the chief priests and the scribes finding a way to get through to Jesus, and that's through Judas. And we see often, as we see in the book of Mark, that it's not the insiders who get it, it's the outsiders. The scribes, the religious leaders, the disciples themselves, they don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is all about. But an outsider, a woman in the home of a former leper, she gets it and she understands it. We see a ginormous contrast between the two characters in this passage, the woman and Judas, who is named out in particular. Now, we don't know with absolute certainty why Judas betrayed Jesus, but the most likely explanation, given what the data we have, is that it was indeed for money. When this woman wastes this precious ointment, perhaps Judas is thinking to to himself, following Jesus is a dead end. I mean, he was taking the money for himself. He was in charge of the purse and taking whatever he wanted. And perhaps he realizes... Jesus isn't in it for the money. He's probably going to be crucified. He's, if he has any money, he's going to give it to the poor or allow it to be wasted. So he is ready to move on. And so it says in the text that he sought out the chief priests and the rulers, that he goes to them. They weren't seeking him out. They, Judas goes to them. Mark simply indicates he was promised money, but Matthew indicates that They were to give him 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver would have been about four months' wage. And so the woman gives 300 denarii, almost a year's wage, for Jesus. Judas gives four months' wage to give Jesus up to betray him. And so he sells his soul for 30 pieces of silver. His life is wasted. After Jesus is condemned to death, after Judas has betrayed him, we see that Judas comes to the realization that he has wasted his life. 
It says in Matthew 27, When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. The 30 pieces of silver, they did nothing for him because he'd given away his soul. But something very ironic happens after this. The passage continues in verse 6. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. So the chief priests can't put the money into the treasury because it's blood money. And so they go and they buy a field for strangers foreigners. Now, in that day and age, if someone was a stranger and they didn't have a place to be buried, what does that indicate about them? It indicates that they're poor. When Jesus talks about the poor, he often talks about the poor associated with the stranger. So essentially, these are the people who are poor who are in need. So in a tragic touch of irony, the money that Jesus sought for himself, after he had been complaining about giving money to the poor, that money he sought for them for himself is given to the poor. And the field was called the field of blood to indicate probably the way that he died and also the fact that it was bought with blood money. And for all the time that it was in existence, it would be a remembrance of a life that was wasted, of a traitor who had died an ignoble death. Yet Jesus says of the woman who poured ointment on him, that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, it will be told, her, her story will be told. That it will be told in remembrance of her. And here we are, 2,000 plus years later, hearing her story, and that fulfillment is fulfilled. Jesus says that she has anointed my body for, beforehand for burial. Now, in that day and age, when someone would die, they didn't uh, believe in embalming the bodies. So, what they would do is they would. The family would wash the body and they would put heavy perfume on the body so that it wouldn't stink. And so this woman is, in a sense, preparing Jesus for burial. She probably didn't know that. She probably didn't understand. Maybe she did. I mean, she could have. But she probably didn't understand that. But she's showing love to Jesus. The love that a family would show to a family member who had passed away. And so to Jesus, her gift really did make a difference. It was demonstrating love and devotion to the Son of God who was about to die. And throughout all time, as her story has been told, it's been remembered the love that she had for Jesus. The reason that there's no gift that's too big to give to God is because that nothing that you give to God is wasted. There's no gift that's too big to give to God because nothing that you give to God is wasted. Nothing we give to Him is wasted. Because remember, he owns it all. It all belongs to him. There's nothing that we can hold on to anyways. Judas tried with all his might to hold on to his money, and yet it ended up being thrown on the floor. Field bought for the poor. 
God did with that money what he wanted. He wasn't going to hold on to it anyways. Truth is, we can't hold on to our stuff. There's not too much that we can really hold on to. Paul said that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, it doesn't say having money is evil. It doesn't say using money is evil. It says loving money is evil. And we see in this passage a contrast. Because Judas probably didn't have that much money. But money was his God. He loved money and he used Jesus to get money. This woman, clearly she came from a very wealthy family. She probably had a lot of money. She was wealthy. She didn't love her money. She loved Jesus. She used her money as a tool to show her love to Jesus. For those who are passionate followers of Jesus, time, resources, opportunity, circumstances, money, they're all tools to be used by God. They're not the ultimate end. Yet James Edwards astutely observes, the world has never had a problem with religion in moderation. It has no problem with too much wealth or power or sex or influence. But it has a problem with religion in excess. I think part of the reason for that is we can't always see the investment we make in the kingdom of God. We can't always see the results of what happens when we give ourselves to God. And maybe there's some of us here who feel like our life has kind of been a waste. Maybe we feel like we've done things for God or given things to God and it hasn't really been to any purpose. Maybe you feel like you've, you've tried to share Christ with someone, a loved one. And even though you've tried to do it in the most loving and sincere way, maybe they've gotten angry and won't talk to you. Maybe you've given sacrificially to God and felt like that money that you gave was just gone, a waste, just like a drop in the bucket. Or maybe you've served God in ministry through a children's ministry or an outreach event. And you feel like your time has been wasted, like it hasn't gone to any purpose. You haven't seen the results of that. Or maybe you've had circumstances in your life that are beyond your control. Circumstances that you don't understand. Circumstances that seem pointless. And you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through. And you feel like your suffering is a waste. And I wonder what, I wonder if that's what the missionary William Borden thought when he was in the last moments of his life. William Borden was born in the 19, early 1900s. He gave his life to Christ at a relatively early age. He came from a very well-to-do family, and his fair, parents sent him to a boarding school with the anticipation that he would uh, go to Princeton after high school, and then he would get a good job and continue the family name and be a recipient of the family fortune. After he graduated from high school, his parents gave him a pretty awesome gift. They gave him a gift that he could sail around the whole world. Awesome graduation present. So they sent him on this trip around the world, but as he went around the world, he experienced a lot of needs, both physical needs and spiritual needs. And he saw, as he saw people hurting throughout the world, he realized that he needed to go and do something about it. He needed to go and share Christ's love with those people that he'd seen around the world. As he was deciding what to do with his life, he felt a call to ministry, a call to be a missionary among the unreached peoples. One of his friends basically told him that this was a waste, that he was throwing his life away. But he persisted. He went back. When he got back, he went to Yale 
and graduated and then studied at Princeton Theological Seminary. And as soon as he was done with that, he got on a ship that was headed for the Gansu province of China. And so on his way there, he stopped in Egypt and Cairo, and he began to learn the language and learn more about uh, Islam. But while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis, a severe case of spinal meningitis. And then less than a month later, he died. 25 years old. Never even reached the mission field. It seemed to everyone like his life truly had been a waste. But after he died, his story was run in a number of different newspapers across America. And it inspired a number of people to leave the world that they had behind and go and be missionaries for the gospel. His life really did make a difference. At key points of his life, Borden is said to have written some phrases in his Bible. When he was kind of debating what to do with his life and whether he should become a missionary, he was dealing with the, his family's disapproval as they were telling him, you should just stay here. You should, we have all this money, all these resources. Why would you go and waste your life on the heathen? And yet he resolved to do that. And he wrote in his Bible as he was resolving to do that, no reserves. Toward the end of his time in Yale, most likely thinking about the sadness of leaving that area and and the ministry he had there. He had a Bible study that was attended by three-fourths of the students at Yale. He wrote in his Bible, no retreats. There was no turning back from what he was going to do. Then reportedly, as he lay dying in Cairo, Egypt, he wrote one final phrase in his Bible, no regrets. That he would do it all over again for Jesus. Think of it this way. Say you save up money to go to the Grand Canyon. You know, and it costs a lot of money to go there. I mean, you'd have to save up to go for airfare, which would be hundreds of dollars, a hotel, food, uh, transportation to actually get there. And you save up money, you go there. And then you go home. And when you go home, you don't have any money left. It's all gone. Now, someone in probably wouldn't say, well, my trip was a waste because I don't have any money left. I mean, that's kind of a foregone conclusion that if you're going there, you're going to be spending the money to get there and your money is going to be gone. But you experience the Grand Canyon. And maybe you like the Grand Canyon so much that you go back there again and you're willing to pay that money all over again because it was such an awesome experience to see it. Same way we give our lives, our time, our resources to God Not because we're expecting something in return, but because we love Jesus. I mean, it's all going to be gone in the end anyways, right? But we give it to him because we love him. And that's what this woman in this passage does. She gives what she had, what she could give to Jesus because of her love for him. There's no gift that's too big to give to God. Because nothing that you give to God is wasted. Some of us are here today and we need to be encouraged by the fact that nothing we give to God is wasted. Maybe we're going through difficulties in life. Our circumstances, our suffering is not wasted. The time we give to God, it's not wasted. The money we give to God, it's not wasted because everything that we do as believers, if we turn it over to Him, it's an act of worship. 
others of us, maybe God would be asking you today what you need to give to him. Maybe it's your time, your money, your skills, your connections, circumstances. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, what, are you, what is God calling us to give to him today? There's no gift that's too big to give to God. It's nothing you give to God is wasted. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the gifts that you give us, most importantly, the gift of your Son. And because of that, we owe you everything. We are grateful for all that you've done for us. And we know that anything we give back to you is never wasted because you deserve it all. You're worthy of all our worship. You're worthy of all our time. You're worthy of all of our resources, everything, because of what you've done for us and because of who you are. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who are struggling, who feel like they've wasted uh, maybe their whole life or portions of their life. God, I pray that they would be encouraged. God, if they're your children, that nothing they give to you is wasted that you'll use all things for your good, for your glory, for our good, for your glory. Lord, for those of us who maybe God is asking us to give something to him today, God, I pray that we would step forward as an act of worship, not because we have to do anything for you, not because you need anything, but because of the wonderful things that you've done for us. God, give us the courage to do that today. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for all you're going to do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.